What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Carey Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning in once again. Thank you for checking out the program. If this is your first time, you can find fresh episodes of the podcast every Friday. Subscribe on iTunes, and then new episodes will pop up right in your feed. It's also helpful if you subscribe and hit rate and review. Give it the five stars. Say a few nice words. Um, you know, shout out the episode that that hooked you in. It's it's super helpful and uh, very essential to the podcast rising in the, uh, the the podcast charts, and then new people will find it. Um, you can also tell people about it. That's super helpful. Word of mouth is uh, still a a thing that contributes to sustainability of of things like this and um there's so much information that you're being hit with on the social media that sometimes you actually need somebody to tell you directly about something for it to make an impact so tell tell some people that that dig music and different kinds of music and maybe want to learn about some more things that are a little little more off the radar at the moment and um also, you can hit up the, the Dan Cable Presents YouTube channel, subscribe there, share a video or, and whatnot. It's all very helpful and it's all very appreciated. And uh, much love to all the supporters per usual. Um, before we get into this episode, I just want to touch on a couple calendar dates. Um, January 20th is the Portland Folk Festival. It's going down. Tons of great artists. Um, just to mention some, Hammerhead, Haley Johnson, Shane Brown, those Willows, Fox and Bones, Worth. Um, sorry for those that I'm missing. I do not have the flyer at the moment in front of me. And then also January 26th, Cool Nuts episode. Uh, it's a Cool Nuts production that, that he is part of down there at the Wonder Ballroom on January 26th. Tyus is headlining. So check that out. Check out the Cool Nuts episode if you haven't listened to that. This, amazing chat with that guy that was man super killer super killer check out the cool nuts episode and then also oh january 23rd i am uh, gonna be a part of who's the ross from and i had aaron ross on the podcast not too long ago if you haven't listened to that also listen to that because that was cool that was the first time we had somebody that didn't have to do with music he's more in the comedy scene he hosts a late night show every uh tuesday night at dante's and i'm going to be a part of that it's going to be awesome. So January 23rd, maybe come check that, check that out if you can. Um, and then February 11th, MoGo Music Business Forum. Free panel put on by Jason Fellman and Chris Young of Vortex Music Magazine. Uh, February 11th, Doug Fur. Check it out. It's free education for people that are uh, trying to learn how to do things on their own and whatnot and trying to help you out with kind of having that diy mentality and giving you some of the tools to do so so get with that that's uh february 11th and then a show that's mentioned here on this particular episode february 17th um young elk who zeke has been on this podcast um from young elk and 
they're putting Young Elk is putting out a new seven inch on February seventeenth. The old Gilbert Tavern down there on seventy second. Uh, Star Over Blue is playing with them, and then Molter, who's a new project from Chris Benson, who's on this episode. Um, we chat about the show, um, but Chris did not have all the details yet, so I told him I would get it up top. So those are the details of the show mentioned later in this show. I know it's all very confusing. This whole thing is very confusing to me. I've uh, This is the third time I'm recording this intro, um, and twice I've pretty much thought that I nailed it, and it didn't record anything, which is great. So here we are. Third time's a charm. We're really doing it. We've got Chris Benson on this episode. Pumped to hang with this dude. He's a goddamn teddy bear of a man. And I'd seen Chris so many times and saying what's up. And I've seen him play music a ton from being at this open mic that we coincidentally ended up hanging out and recording this podcast at the Corkscrew where this um, open mic was in Southeast Portland. Um, just because the other spot we were going to go to uh, ended up being way too crowded. I really should have gotten some water before I started doing this this intro, but I didn't. I chose to power through, and now you get to listen to this voice, this waterless voice. Um, but yeah, it was cool to hang out with Chris. We'd seen, seen each other play music and whatnot and said you know, always said what's up, but never had an extensive conversation. So it was nice to, to get him on the mics. And I just really enjoy his approach to songwriting and, and specifically um, his lyrical point of view because, um, and we, we talk about it on the episode, like I, I just feel like he gets, you know, expresses himself and, and deals with things through his, his music, but he does it in a way that's, um, not always super revealing of himself. And um, I I just very much dig his approach. And this whole record, if you're a singer-songwriter fan, you're, this record is a treat. It's uh, it's called Never Alone um, under the, the name Terry Time Brother. Um, and you should check it out. It's on Apple Music and Spotify and Bandcamp and all that. Um, I'll put all the links to everything in the the good old show notes there. You can also find Benson Amps, which is Chris's other deal. Like he is the uh, he's the the brains behind Benson Amps. He he's the founder of that company, that that guitar amp company, and um, yeah, people are starting to show show some some solid love for it, and it's cool cool to get to see the growth for him and uh it was super fun to chat with him about it but this record this terry time brother record is is way good and i dig it quite a bit and just the whole thing resonated with me quite a bit and i definitely see how i can become a terry time brother you know like what that path looks like to becoming one and i feel like Excuse me, that's possible. Told you this water thing. Should have done the water. Um, but yeah, I definitely can see myself as a Terry Time brother sometimes. And and you'll know what that means as we talk about it in this episode. And uh, so let's do that. Let's let's get into this thing. 
Um, thank you for listening. Uh, and this is it. This is episode man, 94. Episode 94 with Chris Benson. And this is the first track of the Terry Time Brother album, Never Alone. And the track is called Morning Hours. Let's get into it. I can't fall asleep at night. Head a buzzing as your time.
Chris Benson. What is happening, man? Hey, man. Back here at the the Corkscrew. Yes. Where well, this this place is actually uh, where I saw you play music for the first time, and many times at at an open mic that Jen Deal and Chris Spicer used to run. Yeah, I, I miss that open mic a lot. Pretty consistently. Yeah, absolutely. Spent a lot of Mondays here with a, a very cool group of people. But uh, yeah, man, I, w- I just wanted to have you on the cast to talk about you know your journey as like a singer songwriter and musician, as well as as Benson Amps, which is your amplifier company based out of out of Portland here. And uh, yeah, just kind of want to. Maybe kind of start at the beginning a little bit, try to fill in some of the gaps of, you know, how you get into that the amp building and whatnot, and what leads up to kind of this this Terry Time Brother record that that you just put out pretty recently. So right on, man. I like talking about all of that stuff. So. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was like your early exposure to music? What kind of hooked you in? Um. Let's see. I I come from a not a super musical family um like my parents aren't musicians or anything like that and you know they play the beach boys or whatever growing up and they definitely appreciated it but i think they realized i was a musician when when i sat down at a piano when i was like i think four or five and just started picking out a melody on the piano and they're like oh we gotta get this kid a piano and did that for a number of years and eventually got too cool for it in high school uh, and decided I wanted to play guitar. Uh, got my uncle's old guitar and started picking away at first Nirvana and then uh, moving into classic rock and that kind of segued into like Bob Dylan and Neil Young and just like songwriters where, you know, there's cool guitar stuff going on. But I definitely got way more interested in uh, writing songs and in like actually having having message or you know writing poetry and stuff. Uh, so that that's sort of what college looked like for me. It's kind of like learning how to write songs, and at the same time, I was doing this parallel thing where I was a musician. Uh, and playing bass and guitar and people's bands. So it was kind of like parallel paths up until probably, you know, six years ago when I started doing my own band and playing guitar out and stuff. So Yeah. Like when you gravitated towards the piano at an early age, were, were you hearing like m- music or, or seeking music pretty pretty early on or was it just whatever was being played in the house by your parents um you know i just all, all of my musical exposure was through my folks and uh i mean there was like yeah i initially i just started you know picking out like church songs and you know hymns or beach boys or beatles songs that i that i had heard so yeah i i don't know i feel like even even listening to your tunes um especially with the pieces that have kind of the the fat organ sounds on them and whatnot i I definitely get like 
that old church hymn vibe sometimes, like in the in the best of ways, like in a in a very complimentary way. And I don't know if it. Yeah, I I've played a lot of that music growing up, uh, and uh, you know continue to, um, you know do some church music here and there. Um, I play at church, <clears throat> usually bass or guitar, but uh, sometimes I'll. You know, definitely around a lot of organ music too, which I I love the organ. That's actually on this record. I it was kind of my goal to use the organ on on every track because I've always loved it as an instrument. I ended up buying like an old Hammond organ and specifically to make this record, just uh, wanted to just put as much as I could on the record. So, um, so after kind of getting into guitar and making your just kind of learning how to maneuver that instrument did you start writing like poetry like as a parallel with that like always or what, did it take a while for you to I mean get into that part of it it took a while i th- i think you know i didn't even really i wouldn't tell people that i was like into poetry yeah, but I was like, man, this is a great song, you know. These these lyrics are awesome, you know. Just always listening to the lyrics and and whatnot. And then when I went to college, I started as a music major, but then quickly changed into English once I realized that wasn't going to get me anything but a music teaching job at some point. Um, and then I was like, okay, you know, they have all these poetry classes, and we started learning about the romantics or you know ancient greek poetry or japanese and blah 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 and i started understanding i would say it it probably took a full year to really like develop kind of an an appreciation for just poetry on the page yeah but but after that i was was kind of firmly in that world and i I thought it was a a poet for a little while for sure (laughs) um that that ended in my early 20s though but I mean, you still get to use those tools in your your songwriting, you know? Absolutely. It's a very similar thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I still think in terms of images and, I like, everything that, that totally has informed, like, all of my songwriting since. Yeah. When it, I don't know. When I'm listening to this record specifically, because it's the thing that I've spent the most time with, the Never Alone record that you recently put out... Um, I dig it because I just feel like there's there's a lot of mystery in it. You know, like some of the lines that you deliver, I'm just like, oh man, what is he talking about there? Like there's so many like different directions. I feel like I can take different things and I, I really enjoy like the amount of interpretation that you leave for people. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's important to I me. Mean, most people don't get this about songwriting. Well, I shouldn't say most people, but a lot of people don't get that. You could you could be t- saying a song from your perspective, but you could actually just be telling a story about something that happened to someone else, or maybe something that's never happened. And I think when you're young, you, th- you see songs as this kind of this confessional, like, "Well, this happened, and this is how I feel about it." And it totally can be that, you know, that's that's good stuff. But I kind of approach it a little bit more literary. I can't even say that. That's which right. Is so funny, uh, <laughs> from a more literary standpoint, where it's like you know, it's not. Some of these songs are totally about me, but some of them are not, and some of them are sort of about you know, 
experiences I've had. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say some of like some of them are just observations of of other people's experiences as well? A lot and, of them are. Yeah. And trying to kind of write from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Do you find that to be more difficult than writing stuff that's purely your experience? I th- I find it actually less difficult. I don't love talking about about myself, which okay. is ironic because I'm on a podcast right now. <laughs> I. I grew up in New England, you know, kind of a reserved culture, and people don't really talk about themselves that much. You know, if you're su- if you're suffering, usually you're suffering silently. For sure. Um, and yeah, I I actually find it a lot easier to have some have a little bit of distance. Um, to be a, a total dork, I think Wordsworth said, "Art is." emotion recollected and you know later on like if you have some distance it's actually good yeah for sure um yeah i also think from i mean my personal experience at some sometimes and this is something i actually talked to to zeke from young elk who i know is a, a good buddy of yours about when he was on the podcast and i think sometimes when you are writing such personal things and then having to perform that thing over and over is sometimes it makes it like really difficult to distance yourself from from a personal experience a little bit. Yeah, he he writes very. I mean, he he works through a lot of things in his writing. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. And um, I'm like very similar in that way. <laughs> I, I do too, but I, I I don't. I think I do it a lot less directly, um, and that's just where I'm, I'm comfortable. I mean, that's just kind of, kind of the voice that, uh, that I'm most comfortable working in. So, yeah, for sure. Um, when did you move to Portland? Um, I moved here about six years ago. Uh, we, we kind of followed my wife's family, um, cause we have a bunch of kids. I'm, I'm married, you know, got a wife and three children now. And we had one back then and we were living in Seattle and, it just, it, it became kind of crazy. We both had kind of professional jobs and would never leave the house because, you know, we had this, this kid and it was like we weren't enjoying the city. I wasn't really able to play out that much or really seek opportunities to play out just because we were always, it just seemed so hard. And uh, we were like, well, you know, if we're not really enjoying the city, we're just going to we should just move close to your family because then at least we'll have family around. Yeah. And uh, that's gotten a lot better. You know, we've kind of adjusted to having children and I'm able to get out a little bit more these days. But yeah, that's what essentially brought us here. For sure. Um, so from like college up until this point where you kind of always in and out of out of bands. Oh, yeah. Then all over. Yeah, very much so. Um, one of the instruments I play is bass and specifically upright bass and all through the 2000s in Seattle there was kind of this kind of folk um, country thing that you know technically alt country I suppose but it was kind of there before it kind of hit mainstream Um, and I was kind of playing in that scene and everyone wanted an upright bass player or just a bass player or bass player who could also play guitar or whatever and 
I just kind of lived in that world and played a, a ton of kind of country stuff and yeah I was I was playing a lot it, it, at some points I think I was playing like four bands you know playing Tractor The Sunset every weekend type thing so those are very cool clubs up in Seattle everybody <laughs> if you don't know the Tractor you know in, in Sunset um, it's a lot of fun yeah, do you do you find that it's a completely different experience for you when you're just playing bass for somebody else in the in their band rather than kind of being the guy, the it, front it man and whatnot? Yeah, it, it's um, yeah, it's it's totally different, and uh, kind of sharing my own music is kind of spoiled. Playing with other people a little bit for me. Um, it's it, it's just really kind of cathartic and kind of this like a emotional like I mean it's, it's kind of like a cliche but you really get to express yourself yeah sharing your own songs and that's it's been really special for me to be able to do that yeah I mean you're definitely I mean even though like I was saying before that I find there to be a lot of mystery in like your lyrics and whatnot also can can feel like a heavy heartedness about some things you know <laughs> and like so i can definitely see how it's just a big kind of bearing your soul out there kind of thing and and a cool emotional release to to be yeah. up there doing that rather than just kind of hanging in the back playing playing some bass lines absolutely and, whatnot. and you know that's that's chill and you know i i actually do miss doing that sometimes um, but yeah, it's it's kind of kind of ruined it. <laughs> really, I have way less of an attention span uh, being a side man these days. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the the first uh, first thing that I was aware of that you were involved with was was Super Crow. Yeah, and I had heard about Super Crow just from seeing you here play the the open mic and whatnot, and definitely have dove into those tunes and I saw you guys play at uh, Secret Society one night for the, it was the Young Elk release show. Oh yeah, I remember that show. Yeah, so that was the first time I got to see Super Crow and like that stuff is very cool and I dig that quite a bit. Thank you. Um, were you always into like that American traditional or the Americana or whatever you would like to call it at this point or do you like did a lot of the um, stuff you were playing like rub off on you when you were in Seattle playing a lot of upright bass and stuff? You know, it's kind of funny. I was into alt country even before that in some ways. Um, like in, in the late 90s, you know, the, the bands I would play in college, you know, I, I lucked into this actually. Um, guys were, were heavily influenced by, you know, Bob Dylan, the band, the Grateful Dead, and that was totally not what was really going on right. <laughs> at the time. And so I kind of got a little bit of a jump. And so I was like playing alt country music when I was in, in 1999 and 2000. No, there's pockets of people doing that, but I wasn't aware of them. But I was, we were trying to like make music that sounded like the band or I guess like the Wallflowers or. Yeah, for sure. Like that. So by the time I got to Seattle, I was pretty well primed to do that thing. Um, 
it was kind of like already second nature to play the one five kind of country rhythm or you know do little runs here and there so yeah and i don't know those vibes all come through on your your terry time brother record as well and but i don't know man there's there's a certain you were telling me before we got on the mics that it's possible that i've i've heard maybe a different version of the record (laughs) you know like yeah (laughs) but there's definitely like this this rawness that that i very much dig that seems to exist throughout the whole record and i was uh yeah man this is just like i just kind of put it up there with with all the things that i've been digging to listen to around that alt country like genre right now because I don't know. I've just fallen super hard for guys like Jason Isbell and, mm-hmm. and Sturgill Simpson and even locally like Jeffrey Martin. And like yeah. when I listen to the Terry time brother stuff, I, I, I get those like same kind of feels like I just want, I just, it's some shit that I want to listen to while everybody's sitting around the fire. Like whether you're, you're sitting there playing the guitar or we're just listening to the tunes. Like it's, it's uh, just very cool. Yeah, I would say it's definitely sitting sitting around the fire kind of music, um, thinking about stuff. Yeah, uh, what inspired uh, like making this project and kind of um, stepping away or not not making this like a Super Crow album? I wrote a batch of songs. I I do this thing where like I won't write a song for a year and then I'll write like. <clears throat> I decide it's time to like write a record and it's usually done in a couple weeks. Like the writing, it's just like, Oh, I enter this writing mode where I get like super manic and I just do it. And so I had finished, you know, the last super crow record and, you know, two weeks later I had, I think like 12 songs that I really, really liked, um, that were this record, the, uh, the Terry time brother record. And they had all kind of taken a similar, similar flavor I was kind of getting into less in a weird sort of way I wanted to do like a less emotional record or a record with a little bit more distance uh, a little bit less rawness than I had before Um, because some of that the Super Crow songs are really rough Um, and I was just like I don't know I feel like I'm getting too old to complain like this. <laughs> so I'm just going to try to make something like the Grateful Dead. Right on. It's kind of like, you know, you can think about it. This song's about stuff, but it's not, it's not like brutal to listen to. No, I just feel it has just really nice flow to it. You know, like, uh, I, re- I really dug the, like dig the production on the whole thing too. Like, um, enough to be free with kind of that that underwater drowning vocal going on and i feel like that even carries over it's like slightly to knives are out which knives are out is such a such a killer song oh thank you yeah it's my favorite yeah knives are one of them yeah for sure um and then you got even got some goofy stuff like the astro van song yeah it's kind of kind of all over the place has that astro van been been your road dog oh yeah yeah i'm still driving it um love that van but i i wrote that song i got got in the van around the same time that i was writing all these songs and just wrote it It it's kind of funny because it sounds really peppy and upbeat 
but it's about this guy who just kind of wants to get in his van. And this is not me, by the way. And just run away from his problems and his problems in life and love and just kind of leave it all. And that's that's kind of the fiction of it. And it's kind of funny. Um, but it's also, this guy's story is pretty dark. You know, just kind of abandoned by his friends and just wants to kind of get out of town. Yeah, so. absolutely. It's such a fun jam. And I don't know, then you, then you have things that are... Uh, just very calm like like did you see her which is I, I don't know man there's a lot of songs that i could call like my favorite songs on the on the record i, I really honestly like enjoy it so much front to back that it's kind of one of those things that um i'll just let it play again you know oh, thanks man and, and like the calmer tracks like did you see her and pick a winner which we'll play at the end um and Man, some great plan. I, I have that noted as, as maybe my favorite jam on the record. That might be the my favorite song song lyrics I've ever written. I I dig that one. They're strong, uh, man. Uh, and I just uh, I just uh, appreciate the questions in it. You know, just this again, like the mystery of just like trying to you know find out where you where you fall into place in all like this big world and and whatnot yeah um i just thought it was a cool exploration of that for sure and and it's just a just a great great song man and not disappointed yet like that's that's another one of those slower jams that i dig a lot and it's got that uh what's the buried in the dirt line on that one oh I'm not quoting it correctly, but you've got that line about uh, <laughs> that you like you won't be disappointed even when you're grass grows on my chest. Yeah, there we go. There yeah. we go. Yeah, that's a that's a great one. Um, yeah, who sang the vo- uh, the female vocal on Terry Time, brother? Uh, that's my friend Gaia. Um, it's my guitarist's uh, wife, and uh, I play in a band with them as well called Ripe Red Apple. Okay. Um, from time to time, playing uh, some some guitar and steel. Um, but yeah, uh, my my studio is over at their house. Um, we we kind of share a share a space in their basement um, where I can kind of go over there whenever I want, and I just spend a ton of time over there, just kind of horse around with music, you know, making records pretty much. Um, and so, if I ever need a harmony, I can usually call upstairs and, "Hey, can you?" And you know, she's got a beautiful voice and and all that, so it works works out. And it, and everything like this record is it all all self produced? You you record all this? Uh, my friend Kevin Kevin Florence uh, goes by Kevin Lee Florence, I guess. Also a songwriter it. in town, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I, I asked him to produce it because. Um, I kind of wanted it to have a real timeless feel. Like I didn't want it to have like weird delays or like synthesizers or stuff that I've used in the past. And he's, he's firmly rooted in kind of that, you know, 1960s, 1970s recording technology. Yeah. He nailed it too. Cause it definitely has like that timeless feel. And like, that's part of the reason I just want to like listen to it around a fire and whatnot. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, like a big influence was like Grateful Dead or um, just sonically with the organ and 
kind of the the noodly guitars, yeah, and whatnot. So for sure. Uh, um, but I'll yeah, I I, engin- I engin- engineered the whole thing, but I really didn't want to make any decisions on performances or anything like that, and actually probably made it a lot faster that way. Yeah, because you weren't there to be so critical over every little thing, and it's it is so hard to be objective sometimes about your own performances. Absolutely, uh, I think I'm going to work with a producer from now on because just to get out of your own way. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, I feel like, I kind of feel like everyone's a producer and that they like something or they don't like something. And usually they can tell you why. And I I just, I feel like it's, I benefit a lot from just having someone kind of help me, like, because sometimes I hate my voice. Like, I just straight up hate it. You don't have to tell me, man. This is is terrible. No one's going to want to listen to this. And they're like, no, dude, it's, it's amazing. And a couple of weeks go by like oh yeah yes i guess it's not that bad um but i would i would have just sat there recording you know vocals or trying to get a guitar part right over and over and over again and what what i'm hearing what they're hearing is different yeah does it does it still or i mean i'm i would assume because it happens for so many people does it still kind of surprise you what what your voice actually sounds like on a recording because you might may perceive it to, to sound different, or are you you pretty like aware of what your voice actually sounds like. Unfortunately, I'm kind of aware because <laughs> I've just recorded it quite a bit for sure at this point, and uh, you know I've heard myself on some podcasts. I'm like, oh my gosh, well this is really cringeworthy, but you know that's just my voice, and it's the only one I got, so I'm just gonna gonna use it. Well, I dig it quite a bit, man, especially like with this batch of tunes. It's just the way everything is placed and everything, with the vocal deliveries, the just the, I don't know. It just captures a very cool energy to me, like overall. Thanks, like, man. In the vocal takes and, and whatnot. Like, I don't. Yeah. I, this is the, the first record I've made where a lot of the vocal takes were actually just kind of first passes and like okay we've got to do it again kevin says no gotta that's the one moving on <laughs> yeah so that's I, the jam i didn't get to second guess it for months that's awesome um and where i don't usually ask band names because they don't always have great stories but like where does the where does the terry time brother thing come from so i wanted to use a different moniker than super crow because I was kind of doing all the instruments and I kind of want, wanted it to just have more of a solo record feel and it was kind of part of that whole timeless thing and I felt like Super Crow was too, you know, it was kind of funny, but Terry Time Brother is kind of like, kind of more, more 70s, like possibly a little trashier maybe a little like early new agey type um so the actual name came from my neighbor uh i used to live in southwest when we first moved to town i had a had this really kind of shitty apartment on a 30th in southwest just on the, the this hill and all this rainwater would just slosh down it you know all winter and we lived next to these two older middle-aged brothers 
forget the, the one's name. Oh, yeah, no, it's Terry and Tim. And uh, they were just like, I, I got uh, Terry's number once because he was going to help me move something in his, his truck. These guys were like riffers, like total alcoholics. I think Tim had almost died like the, the year before. Just like really rough. Yeah. Um, and I put uh, Terry's number on my phone. I accidentally wrote Terry Time Brother instead of Terry Tim's brother. <laughs> um, and I was like, man, that's, that's Killer a cool band f- name. <laughs> that's a cool phrase. That's evocative. <laughs> And I, I kind of really connected with those guys in some ways because, you know, at the time, you know, I was didn't really know what, what was going on in my life. You know, I'd, I had worked as a contractor before that, like just like not a contractor. I was like a carpenter, you know, just like building stuff. And I, had, I got my master's degree in education at the same time the economy collapsed in like 2008. And I just had no plans I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. Um, and so I, I kind of saw these, you know, these two brothers, and neither of them had any plans, but then they were like 60. And I was like, am I going to end up like like these guys? Like, am I just going to like... Like these dudes that are just hanging out still? Kind of skirt from job to job and just... Getting drunk. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, I mean, it was just... Like, am I going to develop, like, a real substance abuse problem at some point and then, like, almost die from it, like Tim? And I'm just kind of looking at these guys, and then I'm looking at my young family. It's like, how do I not mess this up? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? It was just, and I, I kind of, like, identified with the guys, but at the same time, I knew I probably, I had kind of resolved that, that wouldn't happen. So Terry time brother was kind of looking at these guys and being like, you know, in in a different time or if things had gone a little bit differently, like, you know, like feeling like a kindred, like a brother. Yeah. For, for this dude, like if it wasn't, if a couple things had gone differently, I would be right there, you know? Yeah. It's just kind of acknowledging that, that whole we are everybody just like walking a different path you know or like yeah like you are just so like you just made different decisions you know like we're the same just with the exception of a few choices exactly and so that's kind of what the name means to me um and i you know i had that number on my phone for a couple of years and every time i'd glance past it i kept wondering you know why it hit me so hard and I kind of started thinking about it and you know being a quote-unquote poet you know you start thinking about meaning and eventually just kind of constructed that meaning yeah for that phrase and you just saw it like as this reflection of your own life possibly yeah like which is is crazy exactly very cool man I'm glad we I'm glad I asked no (laughs) um yeah, let's get into let's get into that track, the title track, the Terry Time Brother song off uh, Never Alone. This is uh, this is the jam. Terry Time 
Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about Benson Amps. Let's, um, which seems to uh, continue to grow a very cool roster of, of artists that are that are using your gear, man. And but how how did this all start? Um, <coughs> I really lucked out. Uh, I've been incredibly lucky, you know, the, this whole time. Um, a big part of it was living in Seattle in the 2000s, and you know, a lot of my friends have gone on to to, to play music. I just met a lot of people, 
and uh, made a lot of connections. And so the first amp I made as a Benson amp was played by the Shins like the next week on, you know, Kimmel. Because my friend Jessica was playing in the Shins at the time. Just like, yeah, I'll play your amp. That's that's cool. I mean, was this just like your, was that like the only amp at that point? Or did you already have, were you already producing a lot of them? Um, I had worked at Varelin Amps uh, for a couple years before that. And I had made myself a few. And I, I made one for this guy in Florida, this entrepreneur, who's a friend of a friend. And he, he kind of pushed me really hard to start my own amp company and uh, kind of hel- helped finance the, the beginning of it and gave me a clue. Like, was I that, did, I'm sorry. No. Was that, was that all like during that time of you kind of like trying to figure out what yes. you were going to do with yes. your life and how you were going to like take care of your family and whatnot? Yeah. And, the, and, the first Ben Snap was made in that very basement on a 30th. Okay. In Southwest. Yeah. And then that dude helped finance. Yeah, he kind of, we made a plan and got a logo and um, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea how to run a business or do anything. Just kind of, kind of helpless. Um, yeah, so that was around the same time. And that was like six, like five, six years ago or so? Yeah, let's see. That was uh, 2011 to 2012. Okay. Yeah. And were you kind of always like tinkering with your gear as you became more of like a seasoned musician? Um, I didn't really care that much about gear, to be honest, until I was uh, probably around 2007, maybe. Uh, and then I, I played a t- bass through a tube amp and noticed that it sounded differently than my ampeg solid state and it's like oh my gosh this sounds way better sounds more three-dimensional that's what that's what kind of got me started on the quest of like well if this actually does sound better i should probably pursue this and figure out like how to make it sound even better um and but before that i didn't care at all did you already have like knowledge of like all of the the circuitry nope. or anything like that? No. So how did, how did you how did you learn how to do all of that? Did you just kind of start taking stuff apart? Um, I started researching stuff uh, really in depth, like kind of obsessively. Um, actually, like actually obsessively and just kind of beat my head against the wall until I understood electronics and then built some amps, like figured out how to build some amps and then built some others, figured out how to like tweak them, talked my job, talked my way into a job at Varelin Amps, running his repair shop, which is where the actual learning began because I was doing it all day, every day. So you got this job at this amp shop basically with no prior, real prior knowledge other than what you kind of like picked up I mean, in your research? He was a friend of a friend and so he... But yeah, I kind of talked my way into it a little bit. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> and now you have an amp company. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's really the only way you can get into making amps. Um, there's no school that you can really... I guess there's right. probably schools now, but 
back then there's no like course you could take um, you just kind of had to get into the books and the math and um, just learn it and I was you know I was obsessed like I don't that's all I cared about at the time so I uh, I really put my all into learning about it so when you put out like your first amp um, how long after that did it become sort of like this sustainable thing that was you know like bringing in actual income to house of staff and you know yeah I didn't make I started Benson Amps in 2012 and I didn't make my first dollar from it until like 2014 probably like all the money I made went right back into the company and what when I made my first dollar it was like literally just like oh, I, maybe I'd just pay myself a hundred bucks like this week um, I, w- I worked out as an amp tech that entire time as well at a Old Town Music, Five Star Guitars, and just on my own. And so that was kind of what was paying the bills. But for the actual new guitar amplifiers, you know, I was just kind of treading water and, you know. But eventually it started to build, and I, I got lucky. Uh, many many times over and just sort of that through sort of that network that you had built kind of in Seattle and yeah. like I would imagine you know getting someone from the shins to play one of your amps is, is never a bad thing for never the credibility thing. I, I, f- I found that all of that stuff like when Jessica played my amp, amp on on uh, Kimmel or Fallon or whatever it was that, that, that first time I was yeah. like oh my gosh, you know, millions of people are going to see this and I'm going to get like, gosh, you know, you'd think I'd get at least like 10 orders out of this thing. And the the funny thing is like, I didn't hear anything, nothing, like no one cared. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And I've kind of realized that like, it actually takes people seeing the same thing like 10 times in different contexts to actually pay attention to something. Um, so they'll, they'll see it like, you know, it's probably like with a band, like probably don't notice a band name until the 10th time you actually see it. Like, Oh, that's actually, you know, this should check. This is like a thing. This is like an established thing. But like when you just come out of the gates and like you get your amp on Fallon, um, that's a, the that's number one. That's the first time pe- people are seeing it, and they, it's like it's not even there. It's like invisible. So through through the amp thing, I've actually learned a lot about psychology because <laughs> that's so fascinating. Like I feel you, you, man. It's yeah. You just also have these kind of expectations for certain things, like you would like you said like you would think you know getting your your amp on a major late night show like oh gotta get some return for this you know and but also really having no understanding because that's never happened to you before yeah and i don't know similar things can can kind of even happen with this podcast sometimes like i'll have a certain artist on and i'm just like oh this is gonna be like there's gonna be 
150,000 downloads on this one. And it's, I look at it and it's just like, oh, it's kind of the same, actually. It's not like that doesn't just happen all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Especially. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's funny. Uh, things are totally cumulative. And if it's if something's good, you know, it's, it'll rise to the top, but it, it's going to happen slowly. It kind of has to happen slowly. Yeah. And it's so cool. From I don't know when I, you know, search Benson amps on YouTube. There's there's tons of videos of these like these gear geeks like reviewing your amps and stuff. Like got to think that that's very awesome for you. Like not just to get to see, but I'm sure that hopefully that helps like actually bring some some business in opposed to like just someone maybe randomly seeing your amp on a late night show. Yeah, definitely. Those things are kind of actually more geared towards the people that will actually buy your product. You know, someone that's actually watching one of those videos is probably actually looking maybe <laughs> to, to purchase something. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, like I said, I've gotten really lucky with, with a lot of that stuff. Um, what would you... Like, what is a Benson amp to you? Like, what makes it... Like, what it sets it aside from from other amps and like why why did you want to make your own amps <laughs> um well it kind of started as an amp for myself um i i kind of wanted an amp that would do everything that i needed in one package and that's essentially what the monarch amp was which is our first one and that that was kind of the amp that the dude in Florida heard, and, or I, I think heard about actually. Um, it's like, oh, dude, you you need to you need to do this. Like, you need to do business. Um, so you know, it's predicated on, hey, if, if if you spent all this time making something for yourself, you know, maybe other people would use it because it's the only thing like it on the market. Like, maybe you need to share this. So. Um, but yeah, it's just like a good all-around amp. You know, it's, it takes like takes advantage of certain aspects of vacuum tubes and transformer design and kind but, of does bunch of shit that I don't really understand. Yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. good, well, right? I barely understand. It myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would imagine that there's also maybe some advantage in buying an amp from someone like you. Where it's it's not something that's mass produced, maybe a little more. I I checked out the documentary that you have like on the the Benson Ames website, which is very cool. People should check that out if they want to get like just like a little more visuals to kind of go along with everything. Um, but it seems like so much care goes into each amp that you're building, you know, and you're not manufacturing five thousand in one day or whatever, you know. Yeah, um, we we make about six amps a week these days. We were making about eleven a few months ago, but we've decided to cut production back a bit. Um, we and yeah, since they take so long to make, um, there's really no point on skimpy out on like the parts. So, you know, you could definitely we can make an amp for cheaper for sure, but. We've decided to kind of try to go uber high end, like that market. And you know, some people 
want to need that and some people don't then and that's fine for me i've always been kind of a race for the bottom type thing where like i want the reason i got into this was to do it cheaply and to uh to make myself an amp and not spend a bunch of money on it right um because i was a, a poor musician carpenter guy poet probably it's just like i it was just like you know how do i not spend four hundred dollars on like a mass-produced stamp like how can i make myself one for 200 yeah that's where i'm coming from for sure um and now it's like this high-end brand (laughs) which is really funny um but we have to we have to go after the high-end market because if you're gonna make something in the u.s and you're gonna make it really really good it just kind of has to be expensive so yeah and it's also seems that you know through the the growth of the the company you've been able to create this team around you that that works with you and you know they got to get paid too you got to be able to pay the people that work for you like a reasonable wage Mm -hmm. as well to make make it all a sustainable thing yeah you know i got I got responsibilities. I, I can't do this unless it like makes me a little bit of money so I can live. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely, man. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? Yeah. That's, uh, it's, yeah, I didn't realize Kelly Schaefer worked with you. Yeah. And she's got an awesome band. She's, she's yes, she does. Very fucking cool. I saw, I saw her at the uh, 4th of July Bunk Beach bash down there at bunk bar and i was pretty blown away by her performance and the covers that she makes it's it's the covers right that, that yeah she, she makes uh she sews the amp covers together and she also we're launching like a messenger bag oh very uh, cool. that she kind of designed herself uh that's awesome and uh, a couple other things but yeah try to try to keep Kelly busy and uh, her husband too, Jeremiah, uh, works for me as well. Who plays drums in her band? So okay, right on. Yeah. As far as like your day to day, what is what is your hands on um, kind of job in in all of this these days? Um, a lot of it's uh, writing emails and a lot of. Yeah, basically just running emails is what I do. I, I run errands, like I do the things that it's really no one else's job. Like, oh, you know, I got to go to Home Depot to pick up this thing for the special project. That's that's my job. You're like an intern for your own company. I'm kind of like an intern, yeah. <laughs> for sure. I hear um, you. I, I technically do all of our marketing, such as it is, which just involves posting on Instagram every few days. Um, cause at, at this point, yeah, we, we don't have to do too much. Um, sometimes I just get to horse around and, and like little, uh, basement studio and, uh, make, record some sound clips or, you know, check out how the amps record type thing. Wink. Yeah. <laughs> basically just horse around. Um, yeah, so I, I just, day to day, you know, I don't have like a set thing that I do, but I do have a list of things that have to get done. Like today I actually wired up an amp, 
it's a it was the first amp in, in kind of a new line. It's actually a signature amp for one of our artists um, that I'm getting ready for Nam. So today it was actually spent wiring, which is actually pretty rare. Not something you get to do very often anymore. It was, it was really fun, and I, I had this guy kind of watching me, um, kind of watching me work. He's like, "You don't have a schematic in front of you." No, I don't. You know, this is, <laughs> this is all in my head at this point. He's like, oh. <laughs> oh, you don't know what you're doing at all. You're just going for it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah what, what's, it, uh, what's it been like to have people, especially for someone that has appreciation for, like, alt country since, you know, like the late 90s, Ryan Adams is definitely that guy who's kind of, you know, definitely a part of that movement, I think, uh, that kind of alt-country singer-songwriter vibe. Uh, he's definitely made some some bigger records these last two go-rounds that I also appreciate. But what's it been like for, for someone like him to want to use a Benson amp and parade that around on tour and whatnot? Um, it's, it's been great. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, I think it happened at the right time. Um, <coughs> pardon me. Yeah, he just came came and found us at NAMM last year. Um, and kind of, you know, freaked out on the amps. Like, oh, these are, you know, these are great. And uh, I was like, yeah, you know, I remember Heartbreaker. And I've heard some stuff from you since. And I've always really liked your music. But I never really thought you'd be standing here playing this thing. And saying that you're going to switch over to it from your Fender Princeton's, and yeah, you know, I never, never really thought that. I, I kind of didn't believe it was real. And a couple of days later, he called me up and said, "Yeah, so this is what I want," and just put an order in. I was like, oh, this is actually. <laughs> it wasn't you know, bullshitting you. <laughs> you're about to go on a world tour in like two weeks, and you need all your amps for the world tour. Okay. Then I ended up building a giant, giant Benson like fake replica amps for stage props, which uh, which was, I don't know, it was awesome. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really grateful that that happened. Yeah, man, it seems like you've built up like a really cool roster of artists, you know, like people from the head and the heart and David Bazan and cats from like Sufjan Stevens and Blind Pilot. It seems like you continue to grow like a really reputable list of folks using your stuff which is got to be very cool for someone that you know like wasn't maybe ever planning to do this who could have been a terry time brother at one point <laughs> like or was feeling like you're gonna be <laughs> yeah um i yeah i kind of still can't believe that you know that it's happening like it's kind of it's weird because like it's not like this huge deal or anything. I'm still like I'm not making a ton of money, <laughs> um, but but things like that must be promising, or at least like I have like make you feel good about moving forward with the yes. business and and where where it has gone in what five years like yeah it's, it's still a, very young. It's really affirming. Uh, like it it's definitely tells me that I'm moving in the right direction. 
Um, and it's like literally the first thing other than like my marriage and children that I've actually been, you know, successful at in my life, which is new. Those are good things to be successful at, man. That, that That's uh, definitely something to be proud of. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, I'll, yeah, it's been like, it was just kind of like struggled around in bands and jobs before that. And it's actually something that's working. So I feel like. I feel really grateful for that. Right on, man. That's very cool. Um, we'll leave with this. I heard a rumor that the Terry Time brother, like you're kind of done with those tunes, possibly. Is that? Oh yeah. Is that true? Like you played your one, your album release show, and a lot of these tunes won't. You know, if we get like asked to to play at the Selwood waterfront or something this summer for a thousand bucks. I'm pretty sure I would wheel, wheel the band out. Um, but we're kind of moving or I, I guess I'm kind of moving in a totally different direction. You know, like I said, I've been playing alt country music since 1999 is, you know, almost 19 years. That's, yeah. Uh, and I'm kind of, I, I kind of feel led to move into something like I, I've always really liked kind of heavier, kind of punkier music. And uh, we're kind of moving in that direction. Uh, I actually have a band that's playing in February under a new name called uh, Molter. All right. Um, and that'll be kind of the debut of like uh, that new project. What's the date on that? Oh, gosh, I can't even remember. That's all right. Well, uh, you can let me know later, and I will I will tell people in the intro. Okay. And then yeah. we'll give them the details there. That's with uh, Young Elk, and uh, we're playing at the Gilbert Road. Oh, it's that show. That's like there isn't it Young Elk like like uh, seven inch yeah, release or seven inch release okay. show for sure. I don't remember the date on that either, but I know I know that show. Yeah, so that should be fun. That's going to be the debut of the the heavier band, and I have a whole. I feel like the corkscrew is like telling us that well, hey, we're wrapping it up. We're, we're you know wrapping up. They're they're starting some tunes down there. Holy moly! Yeah, and some horns. It's getting wild. Going to po- point the mic over there. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and you're also playing drums with Bombay Beach sometimes? Uh, yeah, actually all the time. Okay. Uh, that's where I'm headed right after this. To Off to band practice? Yep. Yep. Sweet, um, man. Which is so much fun. That's like uses a totally different part of my brain than I use at work or writing songs. So, or being a dad, I guess. <laughs> right on, man. Um, yeah, that's kind of my exercise. Um, I was stoked to see things are like going well for you man it's it's awesome Thanks. to see i i definitely like follow ryan adams on instagram and it's cool to see him like tag benson amps and like see our see your amp set up there and everything and um people can also go see you at the nam show then you'll be out there yeah i'm not gonna, i'm not showing this year um we have uh we have some really good momentum and honestly nam is like i get adrenal fatigue at nam essentially like i just kind of shut down physically and emotionally yeah halfway through every year um so this year i'm just gonna walk around for a couple days and go to a couple parties and then then head home i went once and for people that don't know what it is that, that are listening it's like a big music gear trade show where 
everybody is there from every company and it, yep. I, I could see how it can be super overwhelming because just from like a consumer standpoint, just walking around there and not really know what's going on. It's, it's, it's pretty wild, but yeah. Um, last year I saw Corey felt Corey Feldman and his angels. <laughs> oh no. Yes. And I saw Steve Wozniak. Oh man. And I met Ryan Adams, which led to a very cool, uh, him using Benson amps. Yeah, and th- then some other banana stuff happened that I can't even remember because <laughs> adrenal fatigue. Right on, man. So, well, I appreciate you taking the time, hanging out with me, spitting some words on the cast. You know, thanks so, uh, thanks so much for having me, man. And people can keep up with Benson amps. Is is it just bensonamps.com? Yep. And uh, I will I will tag some links to to where they can find your music and whatnot in the episode notes. Um. We end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline, which is, it's a program. So if you could give us a good, it's a program, we can properly end this show. It's a program. He nailed it. That's Chris Benson, everybody. Benson Amps, Terry Time Brother, Super Crow. Check out the tunes. Check out the amps. And uh, we're going to play it out with uh, a song that I got to see you play here at this very place at the Corkscrew so many times, this uh, Pick a Winner song. And uh, yeah, this is definitely a song that I definitely came to this open mic many times looking forward to, to hearing you play. So uh, it, was, it was cool to hear a recorded version of it and whatnot. So this is, uh, this is Pick a Winner off the uh, Terry Time Brother record, Never Alone. That's it, everybody. We will catch you on the flip side, Portland. Got to arm both of them. Full moon heavy in the atmosphere. Full heart heading home for dinner. Cops pulled over to the side of the road I'm not gonna pick a winner No, I'm not gonna pick a winner We had our neighbors over And things got a little bitter They didn't know what they were talking about I'm not gonna pick a winner No, I'm not gonna pick a winner Red Camaro at the top of the hill Don't disturb the little sinner Tomorrow's promises are on the table And I'm not gonna pick a winner No, I'm not gonna pick a winner Pile of shock, the souvenirs I can't remember past last year Anything but a selfish man I'm not gonna pick a winner No, I'm not gonna pick a winner I'm not gonna pick a winner
My friend is having a hell of a time Broadcasts it every day Trapped inside of an open mind Nothing to show, nothing to hide He drinks more than me and you combined Now I'm not gonna pick a winner I'm not gonna pick a winner I'm not gonna pick I'm not gonna pick a winner. It's a program.